This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios here in Wormtown. What's up, Lance? Hey, how's it going? It's going great. We are also being joined via phone by investigative journalist Maggie Freeling. How are you, Maggie? I'm well. How are you guys? Doing great. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is going to be sort of a debrief episode based on our trip up to New Hampshire, the GPR, meeting with Guy Parody, and we thought it would be more than appropriate to have you on and uh, help us go through all of the information that we uh, collected over that weekend. So let's pick it up where we were up in New Hampshire. What have you thought of what Ed and Graham came up with so far? Um, I think it's really interesting stuff. Going up there, we were kind of pretty sure we weren't going to find like a body or anything. But I think what we were really hoping for was maybe the backpack, the cell phone. So I'm I'm pretty hopeful that with some of the anomalies we found, there might there might be something there. Yeah, and I think we can all agree that it's it's not even still uh, it's not Mora's body. Um, I think based on the police searches done in 2009, I think if Mora's body was under one of those lawns, we would know about it uh, based on the dog searches. Uh, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something weird going on there. It, it does sound like something was dug in the area uh, right around under Rick's trailer. What we're addressing here is that anomaly that looks like it was right at the front of Rick's trailer, almost where the entrance would be based on Fred's description of where he recalls the trailer to be back in the day when he was up there doing the searches right off when when Rick still lived there. This is a, an anomaly that is um, it doesn't it looks like the shape of, say, a crate or a big box but it's not the physical item there. It looks like something was dug up and something was filled in. It's not consistent with the soil around it. Uh, so whatever that is, we can come up with our best guesses for that, but we're not going to know for certain any details until we get samples back, results back from the, from the soil samples, and perhaps do a more exhaustive dig under the supervision with professionals. The best thing probably that could be for this situation is Mora's backpack, right? I mean, it, they almost said as much that, that, that it wouldn't be the phone unless there's a phone inside the backpack, 
right? Because it, there was nothing reflective down there. You asked if it right. could be a TV, and he said that that would reflect. Um, so I would imagine a cell phone would have some reflective properties too, but there's totally a chance that that's a backpack. That should be enough to arrest him if that was the case. Indeed, I think so. And I think that's, you know, what everyone is kind of looking for is just kind of that smoking gun. What we do know is that there is an anomaly there. And anything beyond that is us saying is us saying what if. We're not coming out and saying that Rick definitely did this. We're saying that there is an anomaly there. And from what we know, based on the account from uh, the current owners, the night they moved in, New Hampshire State Police were there with cadaver dogs that cleared the property. So that tells us that there is no dead human uh, remains on the property, according to that cadaver search. Right. We, there's no harm Indeed. in doing it. In, yeah, there's no harm in doing an additional cadaver search. If our uh, associate Guy Parody has his group with those cadaver dogs, as long as the property owners allow him to do so, there's no harm in doing as many cadaver dog searches as, as you can afford to do. Uh, but what we do know is that there is something that's not consistent with the ground that was right around the entrance to Rick Forcier's trailer. Uh, right next to the the driveway um, was an area that uh, we we have been uh, told that that's where the uh, the trailer the mobile home used to used to be um, kind of that area and um, I guess there was some speculation that you know maybe something had been possibly buried underneath there or something like that so we wanted to do uh, a decent sized survey area of of that and you know just kind of see what we could see. So we did an area um, about, uh, we'll call it uh, 15 by 35, 40, something, something like that, uh, feet. We were able to um, kind of find the, the septic tank, and we were able to find the stone pad uh, walkway. You know, it was pretty, pretty clear and evident to find, so that, that helps orient, orient us and everything like that. And then we see some, some pretty good... Uh, nice clear data of what the uh, soil, the soil matrix, the the layout of the the different layers of the soil are, um, and that's that's pretty clear. And then uh, we do kind of find an anomaly uh, in the area where the 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 trailer um, mobile home used to be. And to kind of describe what this is, what what it looks like, it's about a four foot wide by four foot wide by let's call it one foot high anomaly and it's it's not like what we had talked about where it was um you know a clear hyperbola you know something something hard that that the the radar is bouncing off of um so it's you know it's not like a crate or a box or anything like that instead it's really just a, a an area where when you're looking at the soil uh, responses around it, it's suddenly a lot of changes are going on with this this patch. So the layers are, are kind of all jumbled up. You can see a, a very nice clear boundary um, below it and kind of where where there isn't any sort of disturbance to the sides of it. And the soil above it, the layers are less compact and uh, thicker. It starts at about 12 inches deep and goes to about 24 inches deep, which is interesting um, because we we kind of stumbled across this anomaly, and so we decided to take a, a soil sample right next to it, and we we could really only get to about 12 inches deep with our soil sample before we hit a gravel layer, which 
then looking at the data, you can kind of uh, see where that is. So actually, the anomaly kind of breaks through, or, or at least it appears to break through kind of this layer of gravel. It is, it is something of interest, and it, it really did kind of catch our eye. Now, what are we what are we doing with the soil? Where is that going? So we spoke with a soil lab yesterday, uh, Lance and I did, and we are going to hand deliver these samples to this lab. They are going to test for organic materials. Organic materials that would be, uh, I guess, conducive to a human remain that had deteriorated decomposed for years within the soil yeah right if if that is what is in the soil then that would show up in this test but it's it's kind of a little bit like the gpr testing it's like you're not going to be able to know really anything for sure even if there was organic material there we obviously don't know what that would be um but you'd have to go investigate further so we're not going to have any definitive results uh with the soil but it's a step closer right we're certainly learning a lot of uh information here and learning as we go we're being as responsible as possible we called up this person and she walked us through the process and we determined that it would be the the best uh way for us to go about this is to hand deliver it in the contained bags that we have and have them handle uh, based on you know however they want to keep it uh, contained and and however they test it, we want to have as little physical interaction with it as possible. And we're learning that things are not like uh, on CSI. It's not like detective movies or TV shows. There's a soil sample or uh, a GPR result that you can look at, and then you have to make your best educated guess as to what to do next. And even that what to do next isn't going to give you an answer. It's going to give you another step towards the answer. This is a long process. Yeah, plus you need someone to analyze the results, right? So, And they offered to actually kind of help us with that a little bit, but they were clear that this isn't what we really do. We can give you the results. It's kind of on you to find the appropriate analysis of these results. Right, the next step would then be to do the analysis right exactly uh so yeah it is a complicated process but uh we did also hear from gb geotechnics over the weekend ed and graham they mentioned that they have a lab that we can send the concrete and wood chips to and that is more of a full service lab it sounds like where uh they can actually get dna results right from this step here so that's really exciting so that's something that is gonna go forward very soon as well and so a couple of things I want to say, actually, um, Ian and I were texting and he he's actually the one that found the soil lab for us. So thank you to Ian. Secondly, yeah, back with like, you know, how all of these things, nothing's 100 percent accurate. Um, I think we were all under the impression that we could test soil and find out pH balance because that's how it works in CSI. But um, it doesn't exactly work like that. So you know, again, it's just one of those things that we'll just have to take it step by step and see what comes out of it. And if nothing comes out of it, that doesn't mean that there's nothing under there. Right. And most soil testing companies or uh, laboratories, they don't test for what we're asking. They test for the proper pH level to plant crops or to find out how fertile the uh, soil is. This is a little bit out of the realm of what they do, which is why they can't go the full nine yards with it. That's why we have to take it to another uh, analysis. Right. And of course, if there was like a backpack or cell phone, the pH is going to be completely normal. Um, And we do know from speaking with the state police about all this and Chuck being so gracious to come when we were doing all this, 
that um, if and when we do start doing digging, the police do want to be there and um, oversee that as well. So you mentioned Ian Parody. So we spoke with Ian and Guy Parody on Rick's old front lawn uh, a couple episodes ago. And Maggie, you were there as well. And that whole incident was kind of strange looking back now because we had our our whole agenda for the weekend. And we heard, I think, on Friday that there was a chance that Guy Parody and Ian Parody could maybe meet us with cadaver dogs at Rick's house on Sunday. So we didn't really know where it was going from there. They did show up. They did not have the dogs at this point. But it is interesting to know that Rick was the guy at the top of their list, uh, these two investigators, as well as seemingly the entire New Hampshire League of Investigators. Indeed. And and the state police. Well, we don't know that officially, do we? We don't know that officially, but. But they were there that night. They we, we that's that's pretty official, right? That they that they yeah. had him under pretty close surveillance for years. Under surveillance, checking the trailer, cadaver dogs, um, polygraphing. I mean, you don't do that to somebody if they're not of interest to you. Grand juries. As a matter of fact, we were told by the state police there were grand juries. And Art has even clarified with me saying that when he used to do this all of the time as a U.S. Marshal, he used to um, use grand juries to get subpoenas for records and people testify at grand juries and law enforcement use them to get subpoenas. But, you know, it doesn't mean that people always go and testify. So the facts of the matter is the facts are we know that we're grand juries because we were told this. I didn't know that Forcier had switched his car out to the same exact car without the police knowing. To the same exact model? Make and model? Make and model. And color. And color. I know we knew that at one point in time. Do you know when? Uh, I don't remember the exact date. But how weird is well, that? That's freaky. Yeah. So, you know, when he gets caught and they search his car, there's nothing there because it's a different but same car. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you know what dealership he went to? No. No clue. And New Hampshire records are pretty hard to get your hands on. How did you find this out? Did like, Just talking run... to people. And Fred said he and knew this interviews. too. And I said, Fred, yeah. how did you know this? He goes, because I knew that car and it yeah. wasn't the same car. Yeah. And so that you guys agree with that? that, that oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't even know Fred knew. Was the other car searched uh, forensically, do we know? Not by, certainly not by us. Lance, did you know that Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone? I heard that. I also heard that Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. You bet your bottom dollar that's how they do it. And they have quick and easy recipe options, perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. And you get to experience the joy of summer. If you grill... Oh, I love grilling. His favorite... With these favorite grilling recipes, seasonally inspired ingredients, mouth-watering grilling options for the summer, chicken with barbecue sauce, juicy cheeseburgers with my favorite, spicy slaw. Chef design recipes and exciting partnerships like Bob's Burgers and Master Chefs. That's really brilliant. The Bob's Burgers thing, his uh, unique burger of the day, really fun. 
I really liked the seared chicken and tangy barbecue sauce. It was delicious, Lance. Did you fire that up on your grill? I cook all of these on my grill if I can. If they tell me that it's possible to cook on the grill, I'm grilling it. Then you take it right out to your uh, screened-in new porch area? That blew down in the wind. Oh, I'm sorry. But check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash missing. That's blueapron.com slash missing to get your first three meals for free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So they said that Rick bought the exact same make, model, year, and color vehicle and switched it out for the one that he had when Mora went missing. And obviously there there are some pretty uh, obvious implications with that, right? If you say that's what the guy did, you would get pretty quickly to why he did that. So do you guys think that's true? I mean, I don't know where that information came from. I'll 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 defer to Maggie for this for this half of it because I I might ramble a little bit so well I think rambling's okay because all of us don't know we're still waiting to get the documents from Guy and Ian that has a lot of this stuff in it but I mean I feel like that would be something that the police would have been very aware of and on top of and it wouldn't have been hard to track a VIN number and find that out I can tell you as somebody shopping for a vehicle in New Hampshire in my youth, it's not easy to get a vehicle. I've never, I'll back it up a little bit. I've never looked for a vehicle that was the same make, model, color, year as the one I'm driving. So first to find that, you 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 would have to go through a non-dealership because you're looking for something that's not going to have a VIN number that can come back to you as a different vehicle. So that means that you would have to find a car that was being sold by an independent contractor or somebody who had a vehicle who happened to be selling it, and that car happened to be the same make, model, and year and color. So that is that is that takes a lot of effort. If you were to go to a dealership and trade in your car for the exact same make, model, etc., then your current car still exists and it's out there somewhere. So if that's the case then that's totally possible, but it still takes a lot of effort to go find the exact car. You're still going to have a different VIN number, though. You're not going to be able to take that VIN number off the car without some effort. But it was just interesting because when I was in the car with Fred, Fred is the one who brought it up. And then Guy and Ian were like, yeah, we did know about that. So this this is something that Fred apparently knew about as well. But they knew separately, right? Yes. So that's interesting. So Fred said he could tell that the car was different. Yeah. So apparently Fred had seen the car because this is when we were um, driving by a point of interest. Fred had me get in the car with him and he wanted to show me a spot that he wants us to search. And so he said, you know, this is where I would always see the car. And I could tell he switched it out because it was just a different car. There would have to be a record of that sale at a dealership because I can't wrap my head around Rick finding a car that was being sold on someone's front lawn that's the exact same car. I can't, like, the, the odds of that happening 
when he's looking for it to happen just are so they seem so astronomical to me it would be easier today to pull something like that off as far as locating the exact same make model year and color because of cars.com and places like that. literally google this car for sale yeah right but uh but back then it wasn't quite as there weren't quite the databases like that that there are today so i don't know that that's a very very strange one i would love to hear um or see some some evidence that that is confirmed and whatnot. We did speak to another member of the New Hampshire League of Investigators a couple of weeks ago, and he did say that that, that was true as well. Um, mm. So that I believe the entire clan of them believe that. Yeah, I would love to yeah. see a bill of sale or, or a title exchange. There's got to be a dealership up there. There's got to be something that he filed with the RMV. You have to get your car inspected. Yeah, I mean, and if it's true, then the state police would have known. And so they would have been able to track that, his original car back and p- perhaps search it forensically. Right, because isn't that what we're talking about? The exactly. reason why he would, he's not switching out a car so that people don't notice him. He's switching it out so that people right. don't notice he switched it out. Yes. Yeah, that one kind of is kind of blown in the wind there. Little head scratcher. Yeah, definitely a head scratcher. Uh, another head scratcher is um, the psychic they started talking about, a psychic medium named Maureen Hancock that uh, the parodies mentioned pretty much immediately in the interview as uh, one of their best sources. So you had also mentioned you were really interested in when Forcier had his trailer here, we were standing right on the spot where the trailer was, and we're going to scan that in a little bit. You're interested in that spot. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. How come you're interested in that spot? Well, because this trailer was there, the information received from Maureen Hancock was that Mora was under the trailer in the dirt alive, um, and at some point in time he killed her and probably moved her at least two or three different locations. The locations that she pointed out to us when we, you know, we went for a walk in a couple of these places, she pointed in the general direction, and one of them we got a hit um, and found forensic evidence i guess if you will that we um passed on up the chain so and i I gotta say that right off the top that was shocking to me uh hearing this back i mean when it's unfolding on rick's uh old lawn like you're not kind of thinking of it like that but uh but these are seasoned investigators and and that was really the first thing that they pointed to as far as like why do you think rick is your guy for me the whole psychic thing is kind of like eh Right. One thing that was interesting to me, and again, not to take away from any work that they put in because they put in a ton of work, they mentioned Maureen by name, by just her first name. They they said in Maureen, and, and I think, Tim, you said, and Maureen who? Because it was the first time we heard that. And, he, and then he was like, oh, Maureen Hancock. Like, as if we were supposed to know who Maureen was or because it was just so common when he's describing this that he doesn't think to explain who Maureen Hancock is his comfort level with it as an investigator, as somebody who had just said, I don't believe anything until I see it. And then he follows up with that was like you said, it was, it was shocking. Yeah. Um, but, but they did go on to say that basically that she's the only psychic that they've ever worked with. That is really, uh, given what they called accurate information. Um, he said 99.9%, I believe, uh, were were not helpful. Well, here's what I wonder: is what is psych- what is accurate information? Is it like okay, like confirmation bias? Like we think it's Rick Forcier, and now you point to his house, so that information is accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah, we wondered the same thing. What he meant by that? Yeah, not backing up a psychic, but where that anomaly was found was where he said Maureen told them that 
Rick had buried Mora beneath his trailer. She was under his trailer. And they also said that Maureen pointed out an area, and I'm not sure we got described this exact area. It wasn't right by the crash site, I don't think. But uh, that Maureen pointed towards an area that Mora had been at, I believe, at one point. And Guy said that they brought dogs, cadaver dogs, to that spot and did hit on that as well. So I, I suppose you could say that's kind of finding a needle in a haystack, right? So those are interesting points still about the psychic. I mean, uh, obviously, this is a true crime uh, podcast. You know, we, we've talked to psychics before. Uh, we've talked about them a lot. Um, in general, it's not really information you want to follow, I think. But this one comes just out of the blue. I mean, it, I'm again, kind of shocking that we're here. Does anybody want to talk about how they said the psychic said Mora was under the trailer? buried still alive perhaps alive yeah 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 that was really odd putting on my morbid cap right now that means that he put mora in some sort of container under his trailer and in order to keep her alive could have quite possibly had a breathing tube that came up through the ground that's the only way someone would be kept alive unless like it's turning my stomach to think about it unless he buried her alive and then moved the body I would just really love to see all of their documents and all of their, you know, their case files. Are you talking about the League of Investigators notes or the parodies? I mean, both the League of Investigators and the parodies, but um, for sure the parodies. Now, Maureen Hancock is a very popular uh, psychic or medium. She uh, tours, actually. She's got several appearances scheduled this summer in the Massachusetts area. She's from Massachusetts. Maybe we should go see her sometime. We'll try to get uh, five minutes with her after the show, see what she has to say. I don't know. I don't know where, where it'll go, but maybe we'll, uh, we'll try to meet her uh, in regards to this case. It would be really interesting to uh, pick her brain and see what she remembers about her first encounter with the New Hampshire League of Investigators and when she first came upon Rick's house. Supposedly there's some video footage of that moment as well that we were told about the moment that Maureen said, I think it might, I think it might be that guy. Right. I think he might have her uh, under his trailer, uh, etc. So I would love to see that. And one thing that I uh, like that we're able to provide to the parodies is the video footage that we have of Mora's vehicle that was outside of Troop F. When we uh, came back from Canada with James, we stopped by Troop F and we took video of the car and it was pretty extensive video. The, the, the trooper had his flashlight on it, was allowing us to shoot within 10 feet of it and uh, pretty much panned and went over the whole car with the camera. And Tim, you offered that up to Guy and Ian as well, right? Yeah, we, we sent them a link to download it. I was surprised to see that they hadn't ever seen the car, that they had these what seemed like definitive opinions about the damage on Morris car, but still hadn't seen the car or seen video footage of the car to help them on this conclusion. I agree. That was probably the second most shocking moment that uh, or surprising moment that I had when we were talking to them. Yeah, it's interesting to me because... They let us see the car. I mean, I was centimeters away from it. Like, like, I'm confused why if they have, if the investigators are professional investigators, why they wouldn't let them see the car. Or I don't know if it's a, a matter of let. I just don't know how they didn't see the car. Well, maybe they will download the footage that we sent them, and hopefully that'll be helpful to them in uh, backing up what seems to be a very reasonable accident reconstruction explanation. 
Yeah, so so they said that Morris car didn't hit a snowbank, it didn't hit the trees, the damage on Morris car did not occur at the scene that we all think it did, that Morris car was left at. So that is their official conclusion. And Guy mentioned that he's been an accident recreationist for years, testified over 7,000 times, I believe. So when we were hearing that um, the damage was caused by a snowbank, not physically or forensically possible, hit the tree, no, not forensically or physically possible. When you hit a stationary object, it leaves very distinct impressions. You can even do speed analysis from the depth and the width of the damage. It's, you know, it's about eight pages of mathematical equations you do to get it. But when I saw the pictures from, again, Frank, um, no way. I said, there's no way it did this. So what did do the damage? I don't know. And that's why I was very interested in looking at it, because that gives you a base where I could start looking at stuff that may have caused it. Was it a high truck, a high truck with a high bumper with an extended tip or something off on one side? Maybe. What if you have a case where the um, the snow was plowed several times and built up on top of itself? Yeah. And maybe higher than the uh, point of contact or higher than the, the, the yeah. hood of the car. Um, yeah. Would that have been possible for her to have hit a, a snowbank that was higher than her hood and caused that damage? No. Emphatically, no. There's never been any other witness testimony that we've heard that it was like, oh, this car is chasing the Saturn or something like that, you know, because the only reason you would say it matters is if it just happened or if that person, like, she rear-ended someone and that person was mad and chased her down and pulled her into their car or something like that. Like, other than that, then it, it had no connection whatsoever to how Mora went missing. Here's what does matter, and here is what the saddest part is about the car, is when we went through the Parco report, which is the entire report of the black box and the damage to her car done by an accident reconstructionist immediately following her disappearance. The saddest part is, is the car was completely drivable and it was able to start. She just didn't know she had to take the key out to start the car, which is... I think, you know, the most relevant and the saddest part of all of this is she could have driven away from that scene perfectly fine. So what, regardless of the damage on the car, I don't think it matters. The car was still dri- completely drivable. You make a good point about needing to remove the key from the ignition and then reinserting it to start the car. If she had gotten into an accident that caused that damage, even if someone, even if she rear-ended somebody immediately before she would have needed to take the key out and put it back in to start the car. That's a great point, yeah, because it would have had to have happened when that accident occurred, yeah. The theoretical first accident. Right, right, hypothetical. That accident could have happened weeks earlier. Like, that's why I just think it's a rabbit hole, and personally, I'm not going to be paying attention to dents in her car, but I think it could have happened weeks ago. We don't know. If it did happen previously, she might have known that she had to take her key out of her car ignition um, and put it back in to get the car started. I'm so, yeah, I'm saying, or she I'm saying could, immediately. Or she could have just turned it off, taken the key out, and then gone back in. Like, she might not have known. Right. If a car stalled out, you don't necessarily know to take the key out. You're just turning, turning, turning. And that's what the black box showed. She had seven clicks to start the car without taking out the key. There were seven clicks to her ignition in that immediate time frame. And if she had just taken the key out, put it back in, and given it one more click, it would have started. And she would have driven away. 
Yeah. I like how we say that we're not going to get into it. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we're already halfway in the rabbit hole right now. One thing I want to say about the A-frame that is sort of flown under the radar a bit is the the little stain there that's under the stairs. Mm-hmm. And we have a we have a pretty clear image of it from the boroscope camera that Ed and Graham used. The little stain that's under the stairs is exactly where the dog has been sniffing, according to the current owner. The current owners, I believe, had, had noticed that their dog was sniffing the step at a specific location. And so we took some photographs of the underside of the steps. Um, it's a, a, a wooden uh, wooden staircase uh, going up to the second floor. Again, I, I'm not really sure what you know what I'm looking at, but but it, it looks to me like there's some sort of staining on on the wood at about the location that this dog had been sniffing. That that might be a slight uh, thing that you might want to look at in the future. Yeah, and just uh, you know, it's it's only it's only a small stain, a, a couple couple inches maybe, without pulling up that step or pulling out the wall of the paneling you know that's that's something that we we can't really get a sample of but you know it, it is it is interesting it is interesting um but but this is not a cadaver dog this is this is a house dog true but i think it's a good point bringing it up because it it is anomalous i suppose um more anomalies would be under the big slab at the a-frame house also kind of flew, flew under the radar because th- there's now been two gpr uh, companies that have scanned this big slab at the A-frame. We haven't heard results from the one that Fred had done, and we have heard some results from this one, only that there's anomalies under the slab. That's the only thing we've heard and can tell at this point. To kind of orient everyone, um, basically it's uh, it's a large concrete slab, and it's uh, about um, 22 by 20 feet or something, something along those lines. And there's... Uh, one of the corners, you can see uh, what we assumed was the, uh, the the edge, the underside of the slab, and so that measured to be about 11 inches. So it's you know it's it's a big thick uh, slab. But actually, once we did um, GPR, uh, we're we're kind of interpreting that that the slab is actually closer to 18 inches thick. So it's you know this is this is some some serious. Uh, foundation work but uh, so some of the things that that we noticed when we did the GPR was that it has uh, structural reinforcement and that would be um, in this case not rebar but things like that Uh, we think it's actually a uh, kind of a a metal mesh that you lay down for for structural reinforcement what's interesting about it is the reinforcement doesn't cover the entire slab as you might imagine it actually basically divides the slab into uh, equal thirds. So you have sort of uh, reinforcement, and then you have about a seven-foot gap where there's no reinforcement, concrete all the way through, and then you have uh, the, the remainder of the slab is then reinforced. So that type of reinforcement can make it a little bit more difficult for the ground-penetrating radar to see below it, and that's just sort of the way that the radar I guess um, you could say just reflects off of uh, that metal. Uh, but we were, you know, able to still pick up things uh, of interest um, below it. We we kind of picked out three things in particular. Uh, one of them we we're pretty sure we can we can rule out as just kind of one of one of those um, 
post holes that that you noticed that you've you've mentioned on previous podcasts just basically the when the gpr went directly over top of it it kind of you know shoots a big spike like a pvc tube one of one of these pvc tubes that appears to have been cast into the concrete then there were there were two others which were um kind of larger uh, anomalies and by large we mean maybe about two feet if you if you wanted to i guess um kind of cube it off you would say two by two by two something like that these are right at where we're seeing the back of the slab or uh, slightly punching through what would be the back of the slab. And that, you know, there's there's a lot of different things that that could be. The the geology of the area is very rocky. It's it's former uh, glacial. So, um, and right next to the slab, there's there's a bunch of big stones. So it, just because there's there's some kind of thing that we're seeing doesn't mean it's, it's necessarily anything uh, nefarious. Really, I guess one of the big questions is just, trying to track down when this when this slab was was made. So I find that interesting. I don't know where to go with that. It doesn't seem like the state police are incredibly interested in the property. They're a little bit interested, I would say, um, but but possibly not not to the point where they think it could be more under that slab. Yeah, I think the curiosity factor is more than the suspicion factor. You know what I mean? It. I think everybody is really caught up, admittedly so, in what is that slab? Like, why is it even there? Why does it have uh, this reinforcement on the outer thirds and nothing in the middle? And then what is this anomaly underneath? I don't think any of, any of us had said or realistically think that there's something having to do with Mora under there. Uh, one thing that could put this to bed is taking a sample of that concrete and doing a like a like a, an age test to it to see if yeah. it's older than 10 years older than 15 years they can get it to within five years depending on how much money you want to spend on it well that was something we talked about too is asking the, the man who built the house back in the 80s you know did you put that slab there but i guess we know that he's very 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 old um maybe not all there to ask those questions. Yeah, the best bet I think we would have is asking the realtor who rented the place out to Claude and eventually sold it to Mike and Sarah. And we did get a really cool email from someone who said that the amount of concrete just to have that depth and that size is definitely more than a one person. Like, that's a crew to get to get that much concrete there, uh, especially with all of the reinforcements that's in there. That's not That's not one person flying under the radar digging a hole, burying something, and then putting this tons of concrete on top of it. There had been rumors that someone did die in the A-frame. And what we found out talking to the police is that it was just a natural death. So that could be the source of the cadaver hit, potentially? Maybe. I mean, you know, people started freaking out on, you know, there was rumors that, oh, there was a dead body in there. So that's the cadaver hit. It was made pretty clear to us by the state police that they are convinced there was never any homicide that took place in there was a quote and was that from our conversation with chuck at the yeah. site oh, okay yeah and uh, i also wanted to mention that that he said during that uh, brief conversation that claude's brother larry turned in the knife to fred and of course it made his way to the state police um larry implicating his brother uh saying he might have had something to do with this was larry trying to collect the reward that was at the same time of the massive reward right so that was what what uh information we never realized um about that so they they don't believe the molten brothers were involved but they don't speak too highly of them either 
Sure. And I think I agree with that. I think that's what happened. It's all got spun out of control on the rumor mill. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think this one brother's sleazy guys wanted to collect a reward. So what are we doing next, Maggie? Yeah, so I think Next Steps, you know, it's amazing. We are almost at $9,000 of our $10,000 goal. Holy crap. Um, On the GoFundMe page you're talking? On the GoFundMe, which is amazing. So, you know, I think a lot of that money will be going to some of these tests. But, you know, there's so many places we want to search. That place that Fred showed me, um, I think we really want to bring some dogs up there. So we're going to be finding people, some volunteers with cadaver dogs to go up there, I think is something I want to do. That's that's really good. Uh, there's going to be some money that is allocated towards the concrete testing, the soil testing. And personally, I would love to see a billboard. Uh, I tried to look into that. If anybody has information on the best advertising company that does billboards in that area, feel free to send us the link to this company. Would love to get a billboard up there at least through um, you know February, at least maybe maybe for a year, see how much that costs. So if anybody's got information on how to do that, feel free to send it our way. Indeed. And again, if you are someone who is a dog handler, we would love to talk to you as well. Also, final note here. Everybody knows that this is now a very interesting area. This community is a very quiet community. They're, for the most part, very tight-knit. We have owners of the uh, A-Frame house and owners of Force Years Old house. We all need to be respectful of them and their neighbors. And I know that there's a lot of dark tourism that's going on and, and people like to drive by and take pictures. Just be be respectful. Don't, don't do this. It doesn't do any good. Any picture that you take of that house is not going to be any different than what's on there now. The last time someone drove by, the police tracked them down and showed up at their door. If you don't want that... Do not drive by and take photos. Be respectful to these people because the police do follow up on it. Like you said, this is no exaggeration. There's no no hyperbole here. Within within hours, the police are at this person's door. So that that's something that you don't want to be inconvenienced with. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.